I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello there, guys, and welcome to the latest edition of the Double Clutch Podcast, sponsored by Leaning. I am Joe Holbert, and I'm joined today for the second edition of my off-season series by a Suns writer from Australia. It's not another American, so I've got an Australian on the podcast, David Nash. How are you doing, David? I'm good, thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited for this one because do you, have you heard of Believe the Hype? It's an Australian podcast, NBA. Yes, pod. I I have. I follow both of those guys, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a small community in Australia, so I think we all know each other somewhat. Because we used to do quite, um, I don't think we do as much here, but we used to do quite a lot of work with them. Uh, but it's it's just good to have you on. I'm quite jealous because the time difference for you guys is a lot more manageable than it is for us in Britain. So like our it games. Is, yeah. So yeah. I, uh, Suns games, I think they tip off at half two in the morning over here. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not a, uh, a Suns fan living in London. I did do that for a little while back in uh, 2012 and... Uh, yeah, not a lot of fun trying to wake up and, and watch games. You're generally watching a lot on replay. Yeah, we are, um, we've actually got a Suns fan on our roster. Uh, he's very much like that. I think he watches them all the next morning. But you are with us today. You're um, right. So your, your main thing, as you told me, you host a, a greatly named Seven Seconds or Less podcast. Just talk to me a bit about that and sort of, you know, how you got into it and, you know, what you're aiming to do on that podcast. Yeah, it was it was really born out of uh, my my son's fandom and and being located in Australia actually, as we've kind of just mentioned. Uh, my, my co-host is uh, a, a local Phoenician, um, lives in Arizona, and uh, we we became friends over Twitter uh, and decided to make a podcast together and uh, really just started because I love to talk about uh, you know all NBA. As you know, we we kind of know each other from when I. Uh, I ran a, a small blog with a few friends down under as well, but um, yeah, just kind of started out as a as a pod with with a friend, and we're kind of uh, you know eleven or twelve episodes in now, and, and having a lot of fun. So um, yeah, that's that's my main my main priority these days when it comes to uh, my son's following. I gotta say, I gotta start listening to it because I really like following the sort because obviously my team Timbers have always been pretty dreadful, so I kind of like. I like I prefer following those teams than just like listening to podcasts about the Warriors because what can anyone say about the Warriors or the Rockets that hasn't already been said? But it's good to have you on. You've also you um, most of my guests actually are SP Nation writers, but you have just started writing for Bright Side of the Sun. I know you took quite a br- um, a break from blogging. Are you kind of glad to be back on it? I am. I, I when I kind of uh, gave up from the old blog, I. Um, you know, I kind of thought and hoped that one day, you know, I might get an opportunity to write uh, specific for the Suns rather than the whole NBA. Um, and, you know, with a, a wider network where I, I didn't have to spend so much time, um, you know, covering a lot of the same stuff with, um, you know, the the maintenance of the site and things like that. And I could just focus on writing. So, yeah, very lucky to um, just very recently being asked to contribute for Bright Side of the Sun and um, I'm, I'm working on just my second piece at the moment, actually, which will uh, be a TJ Warren piece, which I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, touch on uh, in this conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I've got to say I'm excited for this one because I, I, I've said this because our last two guests have been Clippers and Hornets. So I don't mean to offend them, but I hope you know that it's personally, but not just due to the time difference, but UK fans are generally, they're going to lean towards East Coast teams anyway. But 
because of the sort of scarcity we've got um, in terms of time, a lot of people choose to watch the the um, you know the teams in the playoffs. Basically, that's that's the games that get televised over here. So the Suns probably aren't a team that many people know about. And so last season, I'm sorry, we have to talk about it, despite uh, <laughs> despite the record. We've got to go into it. So I'm going to start with the coaches because you rolled into the season with Earl Watson as your head coach. I um. To be honest, I couldn't quite believe it. I remember I watched one of your games earlier in the year and he actually rolled out an Alex Len, Tyson Chandler front court. I don't think it was for very long. Only for a couple of minutes, I think. But I thought, how is this guy coached in the NBA? And then Jay Triano as well, quite a highly respected system. But obviously on NBA Twitter, everyone thinks these guys are terrible and they did no no good work at all. Do you agree with that, or was there actually some noticeable work that those guys did? I'm a little bit more sympathetic towards Jay Triano because I think he was put in a pretty uh, tough position. As you said, we had the uh, the pretty unfortunate and surprising uh, three-game into the season firing of Earl Watson, and uh, in hindsight, that just had to be done. And um, you know, it was it was a, a pretty big mistake by the the Suns front office, probably. Uh, our GM Ryan McDonough's, you know, you know, worst mistake so far in his tenure uh, running the Suns. But the players really wanted him, and and the front office and ownership kind of folded to that, and uh, it, it was definitely a mistake. Um, Triano started out quite well. Uh, I I really liked him as a coach, as you said, very well respected coach around the league, and um, he actually started out not wanting to pursue the head coaching job. Um, And that was kind of when I I really liked him as a coach because he was doing some interesting things and really putting some time into developing the kids uh, when he took over. But, you know, quite weirdly, as the season went on, he started to express uh, that he was kind of open to then coming back as the full-time head coach. And that's kind of when things went a little bit more downhill. Um, He he didn't do anything quite as bad as, as running out like a Len Chandler front court, but... Um, he definitely started to err on the side of uh, looking after his, you know, his job a little bit more, and was, you know, playing some lineups that, um, you know, weren't really helping from a development standpoint. Which, you know, last year really should have just been all about development, and uh, is kind of why I'm excited by our new coach. Yeah. So, so with Triano, the thing I'll always remember is that um, that game when you had where they, you just chucked it towards the rim. I can't remember who it was against. Uh, I believe it was against Memphis. Uh, it's one of very few highlights of last season, as you said. And uh, it was Dragon Bender uh, throwing the ball essentially in the hoop with it, uh, getting a little bit of help on its way from Tyson Chandler. Beautiful play. That absolutely textbook. But talking about Triana, I'm a big X's and O's guy. That's what I focus on in my writing. Schematically, obviously, I don't think Watson was great. Did Tri- what were Triano's schemes like? Because I know one of the things you're excited for about um, Igor Kokoskov, who we are going to talk about soon, one of the things you're excited about with him is the offense he's going to introduce. But did Triano really have any good schemes, or was it very much it looked like a very basic offense that had just been sort of put together in the middle of the season? Yeah, that that's kind of why I'm really sympathetic towards his situation because uh, you know as excited I am for, for Igor this season, he's kind of going to have a whole summer and and training camp to teach these guys what he wants to run, and it's going to uh, you know hopefully look quite good as an on court product uh, when they start next season. But you know Triano really just had to scale things back. He, as I said, kind of you know from the fourth game of the season took over the team, and um, he. He did do some interesting things throughout the season, but 
you know, it's much noted in the NBA season that with them playing every other day, you don't really get time to learn new things. And, um, you know, he was kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. He kind of, he just tried to make things as basic as possible, uh, remove some of the the silly stuff that L. Watson was considering doing and did do for the first three games of the season with rotations and things. But, um, you know, the Suns were running an, a, a pretty basic um, offense towards the end of last year and, um, you know, an offense pretty much entirely centered around Devin Booker, who was just getting, you know, double teamed and triple teamed. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got. It was the same with Memphis as well. When Fisdale went, Bickerstaff even said he came in and he just had to sort of dumb everything down. It's like high school offense. But we are going to talk about Devin Booker, but I've got sort of planned later on for him because everyone here knows how good he is, but I want to get into you about his contract the way NBA Twitter talk about him, like he's, you know, Jamal Crawford Mark II, and probably frustrates you more than it frustrates me. Um, I think people really, <laughs> I think people really misjudge star players. They look, they kind of look at what they don't have rather than what they do have. But a guy I want to talk about is Josh Jackson. I can't remember where he was on my big board. He, I don't think he was in the top five. But Josh Jackson was obviously your main draft pick last season. Again, it's it's another player that I think a lot of people are commenting on. I'm not commenting on him because I, I'm just not qualified. That's why I've got you on. What was he like last year? I mean, what were his positive attributes and how much work do you think there is to do before he can become a major piece of your rotation? There's there's quite a lot of bit a, a lot of work with Jackson, unfortunately, from a, a Suns fans perspective. Uh, he had a pretty poor rookie season overall, but again, you can't really judge him too much for that, given the the circumstances surrounding the team. But um, probably more alarming for Suns fans was his his recent summer league display. He kind of came out and just um, you know ran outside the offense almost, and uh, you know had plenty of misjudged shots and. Um, you know, poor shot selection and, and, and didn't really have one game overall where he played all that well. He had a quarter here and there, but but that was about it. So towards the end of last season, he, he shown some uh, some pretty good signs from kind of January to March, a, a lot of which was actually when Devin Booker was out, which was kind of interesting. But, um, you know, I think he averaged, you know, close to 17 and 5 and, um, you know, was a second only to, to Donovan Mitchell in, in scoring towards the end of the year. But, the front half of the year was was very disappointing, but uh, again, I don't want to judge him too harshly on that just yet, uh, given everything that was going on with the team uh, back then. But uh, I was quite high on him. Uh, he was the guy that I wanted at four. Um, I, I didn't want Jason Tatum, which makes me look incredibly stupid 12 months on. But, um, you know, probably with me, Josh hasn't come in uh, you know, quite as elite on defense as I expected when I kind of scouted him as a rookie, which is probably the the big alarm bells. And um, he really needs to find a role this season um, and kind of just cement himself, uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes a night and, and hopefully, um, you know, develop under our new coaching staff. My issue with Jackson coming out again, I, I haven't got my, I've got my big ball for this year, right? We'll get to that later. But uh, my issue with Jackson is a lot of the, the positives of him, they were they were like cliches. It was like energy, grit, work ethic. Like that, that's all great. That's obviously important to improve. But I questioned his sort of offensive game. You've you've got to have some kind of offensive skill. But I'm interested that you talk about the defense. What was it with him? Was it an application, or did he just not match up well enough to sort of NBA uh, wings? Yeah, I, I think it was the the latter there. 
Joe, he kind of um, <clears throat> wasn't quite physically ready. So it'll be interesting to see 12 months on how he looks after another another off season. Um, you know, we us as Suns fans kind of expected him to be the type of guy that might be able to guard some ones and, um, you know, go all the way up to maybe guarding some fours at some point. Uh, Earl Watson had him guard Blake Griffin in one of those early three games, which was, you know, one reason I'm sure that he ended up getting fired. Um, but yeah, Josh is uh, definitely not an application thing. Um, he definitely got pushed around a little bit last season uh, and probably just wasn't quite as quick laterally as I expected coming out of college. Um, as I said, I you know, the Suns fans have have really been crying out for a, a, a wing stopper. We kind of seem to always get killed by, um, you know, some of the big uh, twos and threes in the NBA. And um, Josh was kind of seen as that uh, prodigal son, so to speak, who was going to come and solve all of those problems. And uh, he, he definitely wasn't that in his rookie season, but I'm, I'm not ruling him out being able to be that in the future. But um, yeah, that was probably the big uh, hope and, I, I certainly get what you mean from, you know, his pros coming out of college in terms of his application and his, um, you know, his motor and, and all those kind of intangible things. I think, again, us as Suns fans fell in love with that a little bit because it was something we lacked in our younger guys and our draft picks, you know, going back a few years prior to that. So, um, you know, I'm still hopefully he's going to be able to live up to that, uh, you know, price tag, but um, yeah, I think that's a good point by you. We fell in love with a lot of those things and, and kind of, uh, I guess, looked over some of his weaknesses in terms of how he was actually going to translate as an NBA player. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that Ross McLeod is our Suns fan on the roster. And one of the things he said is that they needed a guy like McLeod, who's sorry, like Jackson, excuse me. They do not need Ross on their roster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they needed a guy like Jackson who just had that sort of, again, I, I, I don't like talking about basketball like this, but that sort of that attitude, that application that can be um, change, can sort of change an organization's culture. But I'm with you. I'm going to be very interested to see what he develops into this year. He's going to be a player I'm watching quite intensely. The good news, we're going to move on from last season now. I hope you're, um, I'm sure you're very delighted about that. We're going to. Yeah, let's, let's talk some uh, positive stuff yeah, let's, for next season. Let's talk about the future and the present. So, Devin Booker, big contract. A lot of people, again, they just kind of, I don't want to go on a rant, but they really misjudge stars. A lot of people say, well, he doesn't play any defense. He's a third-year player who has got room to develop. He's got a, he's got just, a, a, I think, a generational offensive game. I think he could put the team on his back. I know that's not very analytical, but that is what I believe. I know you were getting quite frustrated on Twitter with a lot of people who were like poking fun at the contract. Is it for the same reasons I am, or do you think it's more people just kind of expecting too much from a 21-year-old? Yeah, I think you echo a lot of the kind of sentiment of the General Suns fan base, uh, particularly on NBA Twitter. Um, you know, Suns fans love Devin Booker, have kind of watched every minute of him play, and, you know... A, a, I think for the most part, willing to also admit that we're quite biased when it comes to, to him. But, you know, one thing that, you know, I always think of is, um, you know, I don't actually blame people for not watching the Suns the last few years. Um, you know, we haven't really had a great product on the court for general NBA fans to check in with. And, you know, other than maybe the odd game that someone might have seen when their team 
you know, thumped the Suns. I can't imagine that uh, a lot of the people passing judgment on Booker have seen quite as much as him as uh, some of the Suns fans, which I think is why we get quite defensive towards him. Uh, we also get quite defensive because he's kind of our ray of hope here. Uh, as you said, he's the guy we're hoping can kind of put the team on his back and carry him back to the playoffs. So I think that kind of explains a little bit the the mentality of the Suns fan base. But, yeah, I think a lot of it is quite justified too. Um, I think, as you said, he's a third-year player uh, going into his fourth year now. And as you said, just got the massive extension, $158 million over five years. But, um, you know, he's got some things to improve. Uh, but he's also improved every year in the NBA. So there's really no reason from my perspective uh, to just think he's going to stop at, you know, age 21 uh, I think he'll be 22 going into the next season. And, you know, he's still got a lot of progression to make. And, um, you know, that's why I'm pretty comfortable giving him the uh, contract extension that the Suns have. Yeah, I think people forget that when it, co- when it comes down to it in the playoffs, you need high-powered scorers. I mean, even with all the sort of rise of spread offences, if you go and watch a lot of the playoff games last year in the uh, both conference final series, it came down to one-on-one isolation ball. And one of the reasons that the the Cavs got it done over the Celtics is because the Celtics just didn't have that guy who was winning one-on-one. And I think Devin Booker, I think he's absolutely a franchise changer. I'm with you that he's improved every year. I'm just looking at his box box score stats. I'm sure his efficiency has improved as well. Um, pretty much all of his stats have gone up year by year. This is with not a lot of help. With regards to the defense, I think people have a fair concern, but I don't like this idea. Um, NBA Twitter has a bad habit of doing this, of undervaluing players like Booker and overvaluing these sort of 3 and D wings. I remember I read a lot of player rankings last summer and they had Jay Crowder as like a top 30 player. And it's like, no, he's not. He's very, he's very good at what he does, but he just doesn't have the same sort of transcendent talent as, as Devin Booker does. So... Obviously, you need to kind of build around properly. And a minute ago, you mentioned TJ Warren. Now, this is another player that I've got to be honest. I think people misunderstand. I think a lot of people look at the lack of an outside shot and they just kind of crap on him. But how ho- do you think he's a long-term piece or do you think he's sort of a guy that you'll maybe flip in a, in a year or so? Uh, I'm not really sure, Joe, to be honest. Um, he, he's quite polarizing within the Suns fan base. Uh, I put out a poll a couple of weeks ago when I was going to start working on this article that I'm currently doing for Bright Side of the Sun. And, you know, about 70% of the people who voted on that uh, wanted him to come off the bench. Uh, this is, you know, on the back of him being a 20-point scorer last year on a, a pretty awful team. But, you know, as I've... Um, you know, jumped into my research for the article, you can pretty much see a pretty clear correlation between uh, Devin Booker playing well and TJ Warren playing well and it having some pretty decent results for the Suns last year on that, you know, very awful team. So um, I'm, you know, essentially framing my article that he should start while he's still with the Suns this year. Uh, I'm not sure that he would have that much value around the league, which would be the main reason I wouldn't expect him to be traded anytime soon. But, um, you know, for a team that really lacks top-end talent, uh, I think you need to rely on a guy like TJ and and make the most of his strengths that he has rather than dwell on his weaknesses. As you say, he, he hasn't developed any sort of an outside shot in his uh, few years in the NBA. And uh, the, the other main negative that, that Suns fans get 
um, pretty frustrated with is he just has tunnel vision. He's got kind of historically low assist numbers and generally when the ball hits his hands, it's it's going up for a shot and, and not much else. But uh, again, that's where I'm hoping that our, our new coach might be able to work wonders a little bit and um, put these guys in some sets that, you know, really makes the most of their strengths because I think that's what he's, you know, really known for as a head coach. Warren is such an interesting eval because you're right with the assist numbers, but he's always averaged, he's had 50% field goal percentage every year he's been in the league. It's just like, I think his, his overall game of getting to the bucket, he definitely had tunnel vision. I just don't think the league values that sort of drive player anymore. I think a lot of teams are moving away from them unless they can drive and kick. But I still think he's a solid player. I just... I, I would start him personally. We'll get to your starting lineup in a minute. I think I would start him with Booker and um, I'd probably go with Josh Jackson as well. Just in that sort of, you know, go small, spread the floor with, with those guys. And I think what I'm trying to get at with Warren is I think people, again, a lot of people really misanalyze a lot of the players on the Suns roster. When I was doing my research, I read a lot of articles and I just think people it's kind of hard to critique people who have been playing on such a bad team. Yeah. And it's just hard to critique the Suns overall or any of the pieces that, that still remain on the, on the roster because, um, you know, they they are all variables at play here that, you know, being on such a bad team, it's, it's hard to analyze defensive numbers, for instance. Um, you know, it, it comes back to what we we're talking about with Booker is like, if you're not watching him quite a lot, um, you know, I can certainly understand why you get a pretty negative view of of who he might be as a you know potential NBA star player. Uh, Warren's very similar to that. He, his stats can appear you know quite hollow, um, you know, and he certainly has his detractors around the league and and certainly within the Suns fan base as well. But you know, I've kind of always envisioned him from you know almost the year he was drafted as a you know dynamic sixth man on a contending team, but. You know, I said this on my podcast with uh, my co-host Max the other day. Um, the Suns aren't a contending team. They're not even a playoff team right now. So a guy of that talent, I think, still has to be in the starting lineup. Uh, looking forward and in, into his future as, a, as an NBA player, whether that's, you know, on the Suns or, or on another team, I think his kind of, you know, destiny as an NBA player is probably as a six man. I think that suits his role and his game, um, you know, the best going forward. What's his defense like? Is it is it a positive or is it just is or is it like Andrew Wiggins, just a disaster? Uh, if I had to pick one way, I would I would certainly lean towards Andrew Wiggins. Um, okay. Wiggins Wiggins is kind of frustrating. Not to to dive into the Wolves, you know, too much, but yeah, you know, I think people find him frustrating because he's got all the tools to be a good defender and and just doesn't have the application. But you know, Warren's got his limitations. Um, he, he's not that quick laterally. He's not overly athletic. Um, but, you know, like we were discussing before, it's really hard to judge anyone on this team for their defense. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting. One thing I'll definitely be watching this year, particularly if they start him uh, and, and under our new head coach, because I know he won't put up with it. So, uh, you know, you've got Aiton, so you've got a, a, a you know, pretty big human being in the middle and they've signed Ariza who's, you know, well known as a, as a nice defensive player. So, you know, guys like Booker and Warren are going to have to start pulling their finger out a little bit on the defensive end and, and competing a little bit more there too, I think. Yeah. It's, he's, um, 
I'm interested to watch how your offensive sets work this year. We're going to get to the coach in a minute, but we're going to go on to the front court now. And I've been debating which way around to which uh, way around I want to do this. So I'm going to start with your first overall draft pick before we move into Bender and Chris. Um, DeAndre Ayton, very expected pick. A lot of the number one picks have been up for debate in the last couple of years. This one has. This one wasn't. We all knew it was going to happen. I'm going to be straight with you. I I absolutely hated the pick, not just over Doncic, but I think Jaron Jackson would have been just a, a phenomenal fit with this team. But obviously, I haven't spoken to you about Ian before, so I don't know if you're one of the positive Suns fans or if you're sort of against selection. What what have you? What do you make of it? What, what's he going to bring to the team, and would you have taken someone else? Uh, I kind of sit in the middle a little bit here, Joe. It's quite interesting. There was, a, you know, as you kind of alluded to there, there was Team Dontich and, and Team Aiton really within the Suns fan base and a lot of the media members. A lot of the local media was, you know, all about DeAndre Ayton with his Arizona ties, and, uh, you know, there was a select other few who were pushing for, for Luka Dontich. Uh, I had Dontich on top of my big board um but i didn't have a gap as as many others did uh who kind of favored dontich so you know basically around draft time uh, the best way i was explaining it is i essentially had dontich as my 1a and and ayton as my 1b so uh whilst i was a tad disappointed um i was i was quite excited by the time that ayton was a phoenix sun and uh you know i can see some really exciting things that it's this team's going to do going forward and um you know, I also like Jaron Jackson too, as is you noted, and uh, he was number three on my board. But everyone after Dontich and Aiton, I wasn't comfortable with uh, taking as the number one overall pick. I, I would have maybe accepted some sort of a trade back as, you know, Atlanta and, and Dallas ended up doing. But, um, you know, if we were going to use the number one pick after we finally won the lottery, uh, I was happy with either Dontich or Aiton. So, with regards to Aiton, one of the criticisms, again, we're coming back to defence, do you kind of buy into that? Because I don't, personally. I I read a really good article from Matt Moore on Arizona's defensive system. It's not a system that really favours a, um, a seven-foot-one centre. They, I can't remember exactly what they did, but essentially he was on the move a lot rather than just being inside doing what he's good at. Do you... Do you see defensive potential or do you kind of agree with a lot of people who are saying he's going to be problematic in that area? No, the the more I looked into it, the more I uh, agreed with, with the likes of Matt uh, on that one. I think um, if you watched a lot of Arizona or, or studied the numbers, Aiton basically played you know exclusively as a power forward with another seven-footer for Arizona and, and his assignment was to chase the smaller guys around the, the perimeter. Um, I actually think, ironically, that's probably going to hold him in, you know, somewhat of a good stead for the NBA when he's asked to switch on to guards. So that fr- that from a development standpoint um, was quite good. But, uh, you know, I did a big piece after Summer League when, um, you know, Aiton was seen as a, a little bit of a, um, you know, dampener at, at Las Vegas Summer League and not one of the, you know, high-end performers. And uh, I actually really praised Aiton and, and praised the way that the Suns mo- uh, used him because, um, you know, if you look at the numbers, he, you know, almost ran as many pick and roll possessions on both offense and defense uh, in four summer league games as he did in his entire uh, college year with Arizona. So he's kind of learning a new position from scratch as an NBA five, and uh, he has all the tools, and it's just going to take a little bit of time and 
Um, he's not quite the ready-made product that a lot of people hyped him up to be as the number one pick. That's kind of the the big discrepancy in kind of how I view him and, and how maybe mainstream media pre-drafted. With, with regards to the offensive game, you spoke there about the pick and roll. Do you think he can be a valuable guy in the pick and pop? Do you see that jump shot being good in the NBA? It's a little flat at the moment, but I think there's enough there to work with. Um, and yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's all repetition based, um, particularly in the pick and roll. So uh, I think he's got, you know, enormous potential and, and a big part of my uh, my debut article for Bright Side of the Sun was talking about the gravity that that he possesses on the role as a pick and roll five man and uh, what that opens up for the team but doesn't necessarily, um, you know, count towards his box score numbers. So, you know, that was quite interesting looking back at all the pick and roll possessions from Summer League. But, you know, eventually I think also they'll allow him to pop from the the pick and roll possessions and, and hopefully finish some mid-range jumpers. We saw a little bit of that in Summer League. But, you know, what I was really encouraged by is that they, uh, you know, they restricted him quite a lot in Summer League. And, and as I said, just got constant repetitions into him in in things that uh made him uncomfortable and that he wasn't quite used to and you know that's development for mine uh and and very kind of um different to say how earl watson would have approached his summer league i think in terms of uh just trying to showcase him and and what he's kind of already good at um you know igor really used summer league to to you know develop him and show him how he wanted to use him in his rookie season yeah i i go man i hate the pick at the time but it's kind of grown on me. I, I'm with you on the defense. I believe that throughout the process that I don't. I didn't see this sort of defensive sieve. I see this guy who he's not going to be Draymond Green, but I think he can hold his own on the inside. He can defend pick and rolls, um, and I'm interested to see how he develops um, going out to guards as well. But he's obviously your main front court piece. But you have used a couple of high picks recently on other big men, and we're going to talk about them because they're players that. So with Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris, for anyone who doesn't know, both drafted high by the Suns. They're pieces that I think people, you know, obviously when people talk about the Suns, they talk about Booker because he's great. They talk about Josh Jackson because of that recency bias. He was the most recent pick. I think we've kind of forgotten about Bender and Chris. We'll start with Chris. So when I wanted him in Minnesota over Chris Dunn, I was very unhappy at about 3 o'clock in the morning when um, when we took Chris Dunn instead. But what what kind of I'm looking at his stats now. They've not been too great. Do you see anything different, or do you think he's got a, still got a lot of work to do going into his third year? Yeah, I mean we don't talk a lot about Chris and Bender because they, you know, to be quite honest, haven't really deserved to be spoken about a lot outside of the Suns fan base. Um, looking like a pretty horrible 2016 draft right now, um, taking Bender and at four and and you know, making quite a big trade to get Chris at eight. So um, I, I'm probably, you know, if I have to choose between the two of them, I'm more team Bender than I am team Chris. But uh, I, I am intrigued to see what we'll see out of Chris this year. He's shown flashes um, in his, you know, first couple of years in the NBA. Uh, and again, another story of a guy who was kind of, you know, thrown to the wolves a little bit as a starting power forward, probably well before he was ready. And, um you know, I, I'm excited to see hopefully one of those two make a leap at least this year. Um, I think 
they're probably likely to be battling for minutes, which is is probably going to be a productive thing, if anything, because, you know, both of them in the last couple of years have been gifted minutes rather than earning them. So, you know, before the Suns traded for Rashawn Holmes recently, I thought that Chris might play quite a lot of backup five to Aiton and Bender would play his majority of the minutes at the four. But, um, you know, with Holmes coming in and, and I expect Ariza to start at the four, uh, you know, we could see both Chris and Bender essentially fighting it out for, you know, 20 minutes a night and the other one sitting at the end of the bench. When we when we talk about Marquis Chris, what, what do you see as his main attributes? Because he's not been a particularly great shooter. That was one of the reasons I wanted him in Minnesota. I thought he was, he shot 35% at Washington. I know that was a, um, a, sh- a different three-point line, but I thought that was going to translate better than it has. What do you see as his main skills? Uh, to be perfectly honest, his, his main skill is athleticism. Uh, he, he's a freak athlete. Um, we've seen him in his first couple of years make some freak plays. Um, from last year in particular, I can remember where he uh, you know, guarded an inbounds uh, play late in a game versus Atlanta and then somehow made it all the way back to the rim to, to block a shot um, and, and press the ball up against the, the backboard. Um, that was you know, kind of you know, the spotlight of, of Chris's career or short career in a nutshell really is that he has these quite freakish one-off plays, but uh, he really struggles to stay in games mentally. Um, again, to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, hasn't been in the greatest situation and has kind of had his own role thrown around a little bit. So hasn't really been able to settle into things, but um, yeah, it's probably an application thing with Chris more than anything. And he also hasn't been playing basketball for uh, a, a crazy long time. Uh, one of those guys that kind of started late after uh, playing American football early in his high school years. So um, he just kind of lacks a little bit of that, uh, I guess, basketball IQ on the court. Um, and he's, he's a, a step behind everyone, it seems, as, as things kind of process. So um, he, he's definitely a, a long-term project, but... You know, with both he and Bender going into their uh, third years now, um, I think it's it's kind of put up or shut up time for for both of them. And uh, you know, as I alluded to before, if at worst it means that one of them fights out and and beats out the other one for minutes, and the other one falls away, I think that's that can kind of only mean good things for the Suns' future going forward. Because you know, as you've already noted, we do have Booker. Uh, Jackson's still got plenty of time and, and hopefully DeAndre Ayton um, can have a pretty good solid rookie year as well. We'll move on from from your draft selections of a couple of years ago to your draft selections this year. We spoke about Ayton. Uh, again, I've, I've said I was kind of now on the pick. I loved your next two picks. We're going to talk about Michael Bridges. Now, a lot of people don't like, don't like using playtime data from college as sort of an indicator because playtime data is very um, sort of it's more telling of the scheme and the role rather than necessarily the player's ability. But Bridges' efficiency off pretty much every play type you want from an NBA wing, pick and roll, ball handler, spot up, off screen, even a bit of isolation, he was just he was just remarkably efficient. Now, you were dead last last year of three-point percentage. Surely, Kukoskov, he if you're going to run an offense like he wants to run, a lot of off-the-ball motion... You just need a guy like Bridges. I don't think you could have done any better with this pick. Yeah, I mean, you can debate the actual trade for a long, long time, and, and Suns fans probably will because of what the, the Suns gave up to to move up to 10 and get Bridges. But 
Uh, as far as the pick itself goes, um, you know, I think it was a home run. Uh, he he's the perfect, you know, talking like we did before about, you know, maybe being excited about Josh Jackson uh, when the the Suns fan base kind of uh, longed for a few attributes that Jackson brought. Uh, this team has been crying out for defense and shooting for a number of years, uh, and Devin Book has certainly been crying out for it as well to make his job a hell of a lot easier. So, you know, as you said, Bridges brings both of those things at a relatively low usage. Um, good locker room guy by you know all reports, and um, you know I've nicknamed him Glue uh, since he's been drafted and watching him at summer league because I just think he's going to be that kind of guy that just fits in and helps everything stick together and. Um, you know, is, you know, I think will be in the starting lineup for the Suns sooner rather or later. And uh, I think the type of player that Eagle is going to fall in love with and, and want to give as many minutes as possible too. Yeah, I think he's going to be, if not starting by the end of the year, he's going to be averaging more minutes than someone who is starting. I think it's just, you know, I've, I've watched, again, I'm an X's and O's guy. I've watched a lot of Kokoskov sets from throughout his career and they, he just loved he loves to use back screens. He loves to get guys on the move. And it, I just couldn't think of anyone better to put in that role than Michael Bridges. I think even if Devin Booker is going one-on-one, -on -one, if you can get some action on the weak side with um, Bridges doing some stuff off a screen, I just think it helps so much. So I'm a brilliant pick. Isaiah Smith's going to be a good defender, but I think an off-ball motion guy is more valuable to the Suns than Isaiah Smith would have been. Your, your next pick... I, Again, I don't know how he slipped to the second round, but Ilya Kobo. This guy was number 12 on my big board. I fell in love with his game. It wasn't because he's a European prospect. I just think he's going to... I differed with this on a lot of people. I got into an, an argument with, an, with a Pacers guy who was saying that Aaron Holiday was better. I just said, Aaron Holiday is not... Is, he's not fit to tie Ilya Kobo's shoes for him. They're not even <laughs> on the same level. I am absolutely loving this pick. He, He's just... The thing I love about it, his pick-and-roll game was so smooth. He's got a good pull-up jumper. He just, to me, looks like the perfect point guard to go alongside a high-powered two. Obviously, I've made my feelings very clear on a Cobra. What did you make of the pick? Uh, funnily enough, I was kind of the opposite, Joe. Um, really? I had, him, I had him at about 35 on my big board, and, um, yeah, I just... He, I admittedly didn't watch a, a huge amount of him, but what I had seen, I, I kind of saw him as a little bit of a chucker um, and and a guy that really lacked point guard skills. Uh, interesting that you bring up uh, Holiday there because he was another guy that Suns fans in general were pretty scared of um, taking at 16 when, when they had uh, originally had that pick because um, he worked out twice for the Suns. I think the only player that worked out twice for the Suns and... Um, you know, all signs were pointing towards that. Uh, also, a, a sense, you know, a, another chucker with with not many great point guard skills. But you know, the story with Akobo seems to be, from what I'm hearing, that um, you know he essentially refused to be stashed, which is why he slipped to 31. And um, you know, I was I was happy with him at 31. I, I don't think I would have been. Uh, quite happy with taking him at, at say 16 for you know maybe someone like yourself who had him that high on on your board but uh, his summer league was pretty impressive to be honest um, and I, I've watched a lot of his French league play since summer league as well um, and he is pretty impressive uh, another guy who uh, hasn't actually played point guard for that long 
um, was more of a shooting guard uh, in his younger days and has really only taken on point guard duties in the last couple of years. And um, he's kind of the perfect size at 6'3 with a 6'8 wingspan. And um, he was pretty impressive in summer league. Um, you know, there was a few quotes from him and, and from people around the team. Uh, and you could kind of see it on the court. He just wanted to execute the plays uh, that his coach was calling, probably more so than anyone else on the roster uh, was you know, really focused on um, doing what his coach wanted. Uh, looked like he studied everything in the you know short time that they had prior for for what Eagle wanted to run in summer league. And um, yeah, he he definitely helped me turn a corner a little bit on him since uh, the little bit that I uh, studied pre-draft. What I loved about Akoba, I definitely um, echo your concerns about the chucker, but I think. I think with certainly guys like him, he's only been a point guard actually for ten months. He um he came into to the French um system at Bordeaux as a sort of two guard. Yeah. So he was playing a lot off the ball and then they got him just attacking downhill off of um pick and rolls and they thought, Wow, this guy's this guy can play. I think I agree with you that the reason he fell was because he, he didn't want to be stressed, but I think another reason was that I think Teams are often scared of these Euro guards. I think they they worry that that they've developed some bad habits, which I don't get. I don't think they develop bad habits any more than college guards do. But the thing I loved about Okobo is that he his pull-up jumper is what I think sets him apart from the other guards at the bottom of that draft. But I think he can develop his decision-making. I know that's a strange thing to say because it's not something we talk about, but... I think his decision making was a result of his situation, rather than sort of him just being this, this sort of flamethrower guy who's just going to attack downhill. He's he creates gravity, and he's not a guy who I don't I don't think he needs high usage to be effective, and that is key alongside a guy like Booker because otherwise you end up with a sort of situation where you've got two guards who need the ball, and it's like your turn, my turn. From Kukoskov, who we're going to get into a minute, I don't think he wants to run an offense like that. I think he wants it to be moving. He doesn't want that ball to stick. So I am very excited. I think I've not been a big fan of McDonald's drafting. I think he's had some. He's been unlucky on a couple of occasions. But this draft was obviously we don't, we can never judge a draft class till a couple of years on. But this was I think he hit an absolute home run with this entire class. Yeah, he's he's kind of on borrowed time a little bit. So uh, I think this will be the kind of draft that we look back on in a couple of years of, you know, either keeping his job or or being the reason that uh, he left. Uh, I'm pretty confident in the draft, and it sounds like you're pretty high on it as well. But uh, so you know, I'm not too worried that we're going to look back on the the trade for Bridges or or the Aiton pick and um, see them as reasons why McDonough lost his job. But um, I think you make a good point on a Kobo and kind of situation, something we touched on earlier with Aiton as well. I'm kind of learning. I've really only studied the draft for a couple of seasons now, uh, you know, in depth enough to feel like my opinion, you know, matters at all. And, you know, one thing that I'm certainly learning is uh, with both European and college players, you, you have to consider situation with these guys and um, you can't put too much stock in some of these things, you know, in referencing a Kobo as a chucker, which is certainly a, a, a trap that I fell into. Um, you know, that might have been what he was kind of expected to do and, and really needed to get that, you know, get his French team over the line. So, you know, I, I'm learning all the time every offseason with, with things like that. And it's certainly not a trap that I'm 
um, going to fall into with Aiton just yet. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty encouraged by what I saw from Akobo at Summer League that, um, you know, he, he has potential to, to have a starting spot next to Booker long term uh, if things work out. Um, you touched there, kind of trying to match someone up with Booker. That was kind of what I was really looking for in that pick. Um, I had a few other guys like Carter and, and things that I thought were, you know, potential Patrick Beverly types who, you know, as we know, fit quite well with uh, James Harden. And, you know, that's kind of the player that you're hoping that Devin Booker turns into. So it's a very specific type of player that you want to put next to him at the point guard position. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of, I definitely agree with the items on a cover, but this draft class, I, my take on it, I think they'll all be starting in two years, all three of them. Obviously, it's hard to predict because you don't know what the Suns are going to maybe do in free agency or they might hit another home run, but I'm looking at this team. I just think you've drafted the perfect pieces to go next to Devin Booker. Yeah, you're probably right. I think, as I said, you know, in a couple of years' time, we'll look back on this and, um, you know, as you say, Kobo might be the starting point guard. Uh, Bridges a kind of 3-4 hybrid, perfect modern NBA type player and and then the big fella in the middle, uh, along with Booker, who they hit on a few drafts ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the positive Suns outlook. That's how we're all trying to look at it at the moment. And, um, you know, it's still going to take time. We're not going to make a massive leap this year, but uh, I think there will be signs this season uh, of, of some pretty increased development. And one of the reasons for that development, we'll transition now into your new coach. So, Kokoskov was, before we actually get into him as a sort of an X's and O's guy, what do you, was he your first choice or did you have someone else you wanted? He was my first choice. I honed on him uh, pretty early on. Uh, as you know, the Suns kind of announced their coaching search very early um, to try and beat out the competition. And, um, you know, I've kind of, you know, for any Suns fans listeners, you know, listening or any other listeners, I've I've got a pinned tweet thread uh, on my Twitter, um, which, you know, I'll mention later at the end. But uh, I kind of started that with a checklist of, of things that I wanted from our, our new head coach and um, never being an NBA coach before was one of them because I wanted someone who was going to come in quite hungry and wanted to prove themselves. Um very hard to match up that with then this next thing, which is having coached your own team before, because I think that's quite important to know how to be a head coach. And as we know, uh, Igor coached uh, Slovenia to the Eurobasket gold and um, actually coached the Georgian national team for a number of Eurobaskets before that. So he had plenty of experience there. Uh, I wanted title experience, which, as I said, he had with Slovenia in the Eurobasket, but also had as an assistant coach with uh, the Detroit Pistons all the way back in 2004 um, and numerous assistant jobs in the NBA. Um, you know, he's kind of been spoken about since becoming the Suns head coach as like, you know, the first ever foreign head coach in the NBA, but you know, he's basically been in the NBA for 20 years, uh, you know, almost 20 years as an assistant coach. So he's definitely not foreign to the NBA game. And um, that's kind of what I was really looking for. And as you can see, Igor ticked all the boxes, which is why I really honed in on him pretty early on. I was very surprised he got a um, head coaching job before Ettore Messina did. That just shocked me. Um, not, I, I'm with you. I like the hire. I think personally, the way I would always, um, the way I would always try and rebuild a, a lottery team 
I would hire an offensive guy. I would worry about the defense later on, which is why I don't like what Atlanta, who Atlanta hired this summer. But I think the first thing he's going to do, he's going to revolutionize your offensive sets. As you said, it was a very basic offense, sort of, you know, a high pick. Maybe someone would come off a screen on the wing. But he's going to introduce some very fun sets. But Devin Booker's got this reputation of sort of being this high-powered two-guard who wants his isolations. Do you do you think he's going to be a seamless fit in Kukoskov's sets and the way he tries to coach the game? Yeah, I think he is. Uh, Devin's always proved to be very coachable in this league. I think, again, um, you know, the Sun situation kind of unfairly treats him a little bit as a an ISO-heavy, high-usage guy. It was kind of just what the Suns needed. He was all they had... Um, you know, towards the end of, you know, probably two seasons now. And, and even in his rookie season, he was relied on quite a bit when um, other guards went down. So, you know, I think we're going to see him move back to more of a traditional shooting guard um, type role under Igor. And I think he's going to love it because he's going to get more open looks uh, in the spots that he really wants them. Uh, as you kind of touched on, there's going to be a lot of misdirection and, um, you know, use of some off-ball stuff to just create more space. And the the Suns have made some moves to create more space too with, you know, the Ariza signing, drafting Aiton. Um, you know, all these players are going to contribute to to making more space for someone like Devin Booker to operate. And, um, you know, Igor has that history, uh, you know, very recently with the Slovenian national team of kind of having multiple ball handlers and, and getting guys in their spots. So, um, you know, I don't really see any downsides um, for Devin Booker with this coaching hire. So I was chatting to someone the other day and he said that every NBA possession, you've, you've got to throw as many different distractions at a defense as you can. A lot of teams don't do this. My team don't do this. We'll, there's a lot of standing around doing nothing, waiting for the right matchup. I think I think Kokoskov is the, the sort of perfect modern coach in the sense that He's going to use everything in his playbook. I think he's going to use more sets than sets than set plays, which I think makes him a very good fit with with the roster. I think the shooting was needed. Obviously, scheme always plays a part in a low three point percentage. I just don't think you had the personnel. You um, you've now got you've got Trevor Ariza in, Darrell Arthur. I you you know more about Suns roster than me. Do you think he's going to play a part? Because he's a really, really good three-point shooter. When I look at sort of offensive sets, he just screams to me as this kind of guy that that can just create gravity for the bench unit. Or do you think it's going to be a Bender and Chris show on the from the power forwards? Yeah, I would. I would be very surprised if Darrell Arthur's on the roster um, come game one of the season. I think he's really. My read anyway on it is he's really only still on the roster right now in, in case his salary can get used in a trade before the season. Um, I think he's a, a buyout candidate um, and, and someone that will probably make way to to get the roster down to 15 because we're currently sitting a, a couple over 15 at the moment. Um, I, I see someone like Dragon Bender more as that spot-up shooter to create space in the offense um, and you know another former number four pick who they you know, if he earns it, need to get minutes into and, and see if he can do a few other things to to unlock the offense a little bit. So, you know, I expect a lot of Bridges, a lot of Ariza, a lot of Dragon Bender, um, and then a lot of, you know, using guys um, like Aiton and, and TJ Warren for their gravity towards the basket to hopefully open up more things around the perimeter. And, 
um, yeah, there won't be as as much standing around as Suns fans are, are used to. And I think that'll kind of be a breath of fresh air. Um, it, it was funny, you know, just watching Suns fans' reaction to four summer league games and and what Igor was doing with, um, you know, essentially rookies and, and bit part, not even NBA players and, and a few training camps. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what he can do after a full summer uh, with, with proper NBA guys and, and some real actual tools to, to work with. Yeah, you've got you've got shooters now. You've added them. Uh, you, Troy Daniels, he's uh, just a pure shooter. Had some, had some fun games. Interesting to see how those guys get on. But we've talked about Igor now. In, assuming there's no injuries... What do you think starting lineup he goes with on game one? Yep. So uh, the forgotten man is Brandon Knight. I think he's going to be the starting point guard as things currently stand. Uh, I'm I'm not that enthused by it. I, I don't love him as a player, uh, as a point guard in Igor's system. But you know, kind of as the roster currently stands, uh, there really isn't much of a of another choice. So I think he's going to be the starting one uh, next to obviously Booker at the two. Um, I think most Suns fans believe Trevor Ariza will be the starting four because uh, Ryan McDonough uh, before free agency, you know, essentially said that um, the power forward position was uh, our biggest need in free agency and then gave $15 million to Trevor Ariza. So I think people are kind of connecting the dots there. Uh, DeAndre Ayton will be the starting center. And then probably the most contentious position within Suns fans uh, is whether TJ Warren or Josh Jackson should start. Uh, I currently lean TJ Warren, as I've alluded to a couple of times. And uh, as I said, for any Suns fans listening, hopefully in a couple of days, I'll have an article out uh, on Bright Side of the Sun that um, you know explains that decision a, a little more and uh, with a little bit more detail. I look forward to that one because the starting lineup it seems like you're going to embrace small ball. A lot of the teams down the bottom, they do that. They go small and they just basically chuck up as many threes as they can. But I think you're going to be doing it efficiently. I really do believe that you've got the people who can create gravity. I'm not 100% sold on the defense. I think that's going to be a problem. But let's be honest, the first thing to do is install an offensive system. That's that's how you win games. I think the defense can come can come later on. With regards to this roster, you seem very positive about Kokoskov, Booker, um, the draft as well. What are realistic expectations for this season? Because most people in their sort of predictions, they've got you down last in the West. Do you, do you, I mean, I know the West is very competitive, but do you think you've got enough to maybe push, push up with the Clippers or do you think it's going to be another sub-25 win season? I don't think it'll be a, a quite as bad as a sub twenty five season. Um, yeah, you know, there was the first Vegas over unders uh, out today, and and the Suns were set at twenty eight and a half, which you know to be honest, I think is about right. Um, I've got them pegged at the moment for about thirty two wins, all going well. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be a uh, putting any of my money on in Vegas at that over under purely because you know I think there's a few variables there. Um, the way that the team's set up and, you know, as you've said, the way that the the West is looking right now, it's a bit of a bloodbath. So, you know, I think we could see Phoenix, um, you know, tank for the lack of a better word towards the end of the season. You know, they may even trade a guy like Ariza who's just on a one-year deal to a contender if he wants to be traded um, and start playing the 
the younger guys like a Mikel Bridges and stuff more minutes towards the end. So, you know, that's kind of hard to then judge and, and put a win total amount. Um, but what I would say is that I'm, I'm just really not all that interested, to be perfectly honest, in what the total, um, you know, win amount will be at the end of the season. There's just so many more things that we can get out of this season and, and hope for, um, you know, signs of development. So, you know, I'm more looking for Booker to take another leap uh, I'm looking for, as you said, this draft class to to really prove that the Suns nailed the draft and, and all have great rookie seasons. Um, and I'd love to see, you know, guys like Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender really take another step in their development as well. Um, all while, you know, guys like Ariza and Warren will obviously help by, um, you know, taking a lot of the attention off some of the younger guys. So, yeah, I think with the West, it, the way it is and the way it's situated, I think it's very dangerous to put... Um, you know, a, a win pass mark for this team. The the front office themselves have, have come out and said they want to be the most improved uh, team in the NBA. That's not all that hard based on how many games they won last season. But, um, you know, I, I'm a bit sceptical and, and don't want to place too much into the total kind of win-loss column at the end of the season. There's just a few other things that I'm, I'm more interested in and, and will be looking for uh, with a keener eye. Yeah, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. My next sort of thing was going to be, I'm not looking at the win-loss either. I, if you win 25 games again, I don't I don't think it matters. What's the difference between winning 25 games and 30 games? I just No one's going to remember that in a couple of years. I think the, the key I'm looking at, it's the offensive system. I want to see how he implements it, how the players respond to it. I want to see how it does in crunch times. Well, a lot of young teams... They'll run a really good system for three quarters and then maybe they're in a close game in the fourth and it just falls apart. They'll just give it to their best player and he'll you know, take someone down low and just chuck up a mid-range jumper. I'm interested to see how this team responds when people suss out their offense. My prediction for the Suns, I think you're going to look really good for the sort of first 30, sort of first 20, 30 games. I think you're going to take people by surprise. I think you're going to collect a couple of scouts, but I think then... Teams are going to work out sort of how you want to play, what kind of motions you want to use to get your shooters in. And then I think, I don't think you're going to struggle, but I think that is where you're then going to learn how we see the season success, how you respond to teams sussing you out. I think that's what I'm looking at this year. Yeah, I agree. I think we could be, you know, second or third bottom of the West and it'd still be a success of a season based on a lot of those things we've spoken about. Um, you know, if they can take a few scalps, learn to play really hard on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, they can essentially become a team that we're not used to seeing in the last couple of seasons and and really set about changing the culture a little bit. So, you know, that's what I'm looking for uh, rather than a, you know, X amount of wins to kind of mark whether the season was a success or not. Yeah, I, I, it's good to have some positivity about the Suns because whenever you just sort of chat to people, they're like, oh, they're terrible. But I, I like to be a little bit more positive when I look at these teams. Obviously, they're a bad team. We don't need to like hammer it in every day. I've enjoyed having you on to talk about the Suns. Um, and I've got to say, I think you're going to be people's lead pass teams soon. Very, very soon. I've seen a few people say that, so uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to have a bit more positive attention towards the franchise. Uh, hopefully, starting this season. I'm I'm very interested. It sounds you're enthusiastic as well. Most fans of other teams I spoke to, they're quite depressed about their team, which I get. I've uh, I've been like that in the past. But thank you for having you on. Um, 
Yeah, David's article will be dropping, I assume, very soon on Bright Side of the Sun. So make sure to check that one out. And if you have any interest in Sun's, check out his podcast. The gr- It's the best podcast name I've heard. I probably shouldn't say that in front of my boss who's about to edit this. He's um, <laughs> uh, seven seconds or less. That is a, a really good po- podcast name. Um, I hope you've enjoyed being on. I have, Joe, and uh, if any Suns fans listening that you know I'm not interacting with on Twitter at the moment, feel free to to follow me at the Four Point Play. That's uh, IV Roman numerals four, uh, or check out our pod, as Joe said, and uh, we've got a, a pod account as well, which is Seven Sol Pod on Twitter too. Um, always happy to talk to more Suns fans, and uh, really enjoy talking Suns basketball. So thanks very much for having me on, Joe. No problem at all. It's goodbye from me and goodbye from David.